Hi, and welcome to the West Visaya Audio Podcast. These messages are designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a second to hit the subscribe button and don't be shy to send us a message when you have questions. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this conversation on the life of Jesus. Good evening. Thanks for tuning in to our discussion of the book of Matthew. I'm excited that we're able to do this um, every week. That We're able to sit around like this with Curtis and Nick, and we're able to have this time of Bible study. Also encouraged by the comments, by the participation online, by the Zoom meeting. It's good to know that as a congregation, we're working through the same passages and growing together. I want to remind everybody of the Zoom meeting. I do this every week, but I know sometimes people forget because we're not coming to the building. Every Wednesday at 7 o'clock, if you log in on Zoom, we'll get you the login information if you need it. Um, You can participate in a discussion over the material that we study. But let's get into the text tonight, and let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Remember, this book is written to try to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Um, It shows fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus as the master teacher, as the one that can do great miracles. He has great authority. And we finished off a section in chapter 11 um, last week where Jesus, after really giving some harsh rebukes to some different cities and the people that weren't following him, he makes this statement in verse 28, 29, and 30. He says, Come to me. All who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as we've mentioned before, these chapter breaks aren't there in the original. Sometimes we make a line there when we shouldn't, but but I think chapter 12 relates to these verses here. But Nick, if you were to summarize up the teaching of verses 28 through 30 of chapter 11, what would you say? Um, I, I think I would say that, you know, Uh, Jesus is saying um, in reference to what has been laid upon the people by the current teachers of the day that his following, that following him is less burdensome than following and keeping the commands of those in the current time. So the religious Um, teachers of the day, like the Pharisees, were forcing things upon people, laws that God didn't. Kind of almost as bad as the Romans were, like, you know, go the extra mile, okay? you got to pick up a stone and carry it, or pick up my stone and carry it a mile. Well, then Jesus says, take it another two miles. And here Jesus is saying, you know, the burden of following me is, you know. Is lighter. It's also a sensible burden. It's a reasonable 
burden. You think about, you mentioned Romans, you think like taxes, right? Yeah. How they would be levied upon people to a point where it just crushed them. Right. And that wasn't reasonable. Jesus never says you shouldn't pay taxes, but there was that going on with the Roman occupation. Then you had the Pharisees that, that would take one command of God and turn it into a whole bunch of commands and, and just make you feel guilty all the time. And, and they were very, you know, we mentioned this in previous classes too, but they were very like, we've got to follow every single law. So much so to the point that they created their own type of yeah. book. They didn't just know? follow the old law, they followed the if, teachings of the Talmud, which yeah, was rabbis. Well, they followed the laws like we're going to see in chapter 15 of, of laws that were specifically for temple priests, yeah. Levitical priests. He said, look, this is this is only for them. And if they would have read the context of that those passages, they would have known that. However, they felt the need to, this is why I keep repeating this idea, that to complete the command, to complete the command, to complete the command, instead of understanding who the command was for. Um, and that can become burdensome, yeah, especially absolutely. when you're, you know, a regular, regular person. Do you have anything on that curse before we get into chapter 12? Uh, Christianity is plain and easy to understand. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's freeing in yeah, some right. sense. Yes, we've mentioned there's obedience. God requires us to do what he says, but there's a freeing of you to follow God and, and it's it's sensible, it's reasonable. As I talked about in my even my Tuesday, uh, two minute Tuesday about the Christianity just works. It makes sense. And right. I, we, we should but we shouldn't feel, you know, obligation you know, and what this point book points out that I think is very prevalent today is that we do it from the heart. We follow Jesus because we love God. We follow Jesus because we love Jesus, not because we feel an obligation or a burden to follow Jesus. I feel obligated because, to follow Jesus. But because, but because he's given us something, God has stretched his hand out and allowed us an opportunity to be in a relationship with him. That you're a yoke to bear, but the yoke is a reasonable yoke yes. and it comes from a person right. who's gentle and humble, not somebody who's arrogant and self-righteous. Well, let's read chapter 12 and verse 1. At that time... Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Uh, when I was prepping for this class today, I was reading over some course notes I had from Bear Valley a long time ago with Denny Petrello, and he mentioned something here I never noticed before. He said, you know, we always talk about Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. Apparently, they didn't have a lot of food either, because as they're traveling, they're plucking these, you know, they're doing, they can't stop by the marketplace and all that. They don't have a lot of money. So as they're passing through grain fields, they're hungry and they're picking the heads of grain. So they're kind of foraging for food yeah. along the way. But, I mean, this would be a, maybe a normal everyday occurrence for them. So Jesus is going through grain fields as they're walking and his disciples are hungry. So as they're going, they're picking the heads off of the grain and eating it. But when the Pharisees, and we've talked about the Pharisees before, these were um, your, your law keepers uh, in Judaism. They didn't just follow the old law, the Old Testament, also the teachings of Jewish rabbis. They gave Jesus a lot of trouble. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. First off, it's almost like they're spying on them. Because if these guys are just taking a shortcut through a field, are these guys peeking over the grain stalks, looking at him, what are you guys doing? Or following him even too, maybe just following him, insulting along the way. But they see Jesus and his disciples here, or his disciples at least, are becoming hungry and picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees say, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. So let's talk about this. First off, it's on a Sabbath. It's a day that's set aside, you know, for focusing on spiritual matters. It was to refresh the people so they can worship God. 
And they're not supposed to. The general rule of the Sabbath is what? Don't do what? Work. Work. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. When we look at this as an outsider, we would say, well, they're not really working. You know what I mean? If we don't consider, if I walk by and there's a, a, a little, you know, bowl of, of nuts or M&Ms on the counter and I eat a couple, that's not dinner. Okay? I'm not, you know, it's not a meal yet. They're not necessarily working. They're not harvesting the grain, but they're plucking the heads off the grain. From my understanding, though, was that the Pharisees did take it to this kind of extreme point that you don't even pick anything. Okay? Like, you don't pick a scab, right? I mean, you don't pick a grain off this anything at all. So the Pharisees saw that and said, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. Any thoughts on that one question before we move on? The fact that they're not looking at themselves, but that the fact that they're, they're specifically targeting uh, Jesus' disciples. Well, and what do we talk about way back in the Sermon on the Mount? With our yeah. judgment and all of right. that. And that's the speck in the eye versus the plank in your own. And that's the verse that I was going to point out there where they talk about it, you know, um, you're not reflecting upon yourself to see, well, what am I not doing that's lawful on the Sabbath? Yeah. You know, if I'm so concerned about what's there on the Sabbath and about doing what, doing all these good things, then I should be much more careful and aware of what the actions that I'm taking rather than focusing on somebody else. Well, it's, just, it's an example of their burdensome yoke that they have placed upon people. Right. They would place a burden on you where you can't even pluck the heads of grain. You know what I mean? Right. You have to collect all your food on Saturday or on Friday, so you don't have to yeah. so don't do any and, work and on Saturday. They're missing the point of right. the law, and they're doing this. But then Jesus answers them, and I think his answer. Now we'll talk about this a little bit. Is designed to point out their inconsistency. He says, "But he said to them." So Jesus answers what their accusations are. He said to them, "Have you not read?" what David did when he became hungry. So he goes back to David, who the Pharisees and Jews would never talk bad about David. And by the way, Jesus is related to David, yeah. too. We'll hear about the genealogy. So he's in his family. So let me bring up my great-great-great-great-granddad. He says, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how they entered the house of God, so the, the temple here, and they, they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. So he goes, let's talk about violating the Sabbath. David ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful. Jesus says it's not lawful. So David broke a command of God. He flat out broke the law. Yeah, he broke a law of God. The disciples, Jesus doesn't acknowledge that they're breaking the law. He doesn't think they are. But David did. So do two wrongs make it right? Well, and but circling back, I think that we see here that the disciples did not break the law, and we're going to get further elaboration on that uh, in the next example, or the next defense to this eating the grain. Mm -hmm. um, but it was the Pharisees' law, their tradition, that they were elevating to a point of being equal to yeah. the Scripture. Yeah. And so here, it's that when actual Scripture says you shall not do, you guys are just kind of glossing over that. Um, you're, you're conveniently ignoring it. That part of your history kind yeah. of thing, right? But yeah. Here you're targeting these disciples, where it, even if they, they just picked up bread that someone gave them, you'd be saying that they're doing work from picking it up and building yeah. their elbow. And this is such an example. Like, like you said, they're elevating a tradition to the point of a command. And that's these burdens they're binding on people. Jesus yeah. didn't break a, broke, break a law. He broke a tradition. David 
great pillar of faith in the Old Testament broke a, law. broke a law, and the Pharisees would never dare to ever say anything wrong about David. And so that's our example of their inconsistency. They're going to nitpick at your average daily person plucking the heads of grain and saying, you're a sinner, but they won't look at the huge sin of what David did in the past. And it goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that uh, they were critical of John for being on this end of the spectrum, critical of Jesus for potentially being on this end of the spectrum, that they're in a no-win situation. We see the same thing here, that same logic is being carried over, that no matter what Jesus and his disciples did, the Pharisees found fault. They always found something wrong with it, yes. And so then the question with that is, do we take that attitude today? Of being inconsistent? About uh, of automatically and, and always finding fault in someone uh, with our inconsistency. Yeah, I think we do a lot of times. If there's someone that that we don't like or someone who they stand for something we don't stand You see it's a lot of political discourse, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, or, or we don't like this politician. We don't like this news reporter. We don't like someone that doesn't represent our team. So all of a sudden, we automatically dismiss everything. And you see the hypocritical. The same criticisms that maybe the Republicans had against Obama that, you know, we wouldn't have against Trump or, or the followers of Trump wouldn't have. You know what I mean? It's just that kind of idea. And it's so inconsistent. It's so flawed in that kind of idea. And we need to be consistently applying the same standard of judgment. Way back in Matthew chapter 7, what standard you judge someone with, you know, needs to be across the, the board, right? We can't be excusing the bad behavior of one group. I mean, even that's, I don't want to get into it too much, but that's kind of the discourse right now in our country about even the history of racial problems, right? We want to excuse what maybe happened in the past of our own family lines and country, but we'll deal with it over here. That's the same thing the Pharisees were doing. But let, let's ask this question, though, because I've heard this passage here be used to say that uh, the situation ethics are okay. Because David broke the rule here. He broke the law and ate the consecrated bread. And is Jesus justifying what he did? I don't think that Jesus condones David's actions at all. I think he's using it to point out the, the fallacy of the, Pharise the Pharisees' argument. Because he even clearly points out that it was not lawful for him to do that. Yeah, um, I think that's the key. Oh, oh, Jesus says it is he, not lawful. Here, yeah. Here's the difference, too. David actually went in and ate the consecrated bread in the house of God, in the temple of God, right? And he's contrasting, well, here's the disciples that are just picking grains of head. Or, or grains, you the know, heads, the, of, grain, the heads yeah. of grain. So what's the what's the problem? Because we're, it's not like we're in the temple eating the, the, the bread that is set aside for the priest only. What's the problem? What's the difficulty? Well, I think he showed David, two extremes. Yeah, but David yeah. did something that was much worse. The, David, the guy who you pride yourself on, the guy who's supposed to be at the top of the line of the Messiah to restore power to the Jews and overthrow the Romans, did this, this horrible thing. David had a lot of sins. David had a lot of things that he did that were bad. And yet they, they chose, like you said, to dismiss certain things, you know. Well, and like Curtis said, Jesus does call it, unlawful. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't say, hey, it's okay that David did this. No, right. he's just pointing out a fact that someone in their history and the history of faith here did something that he wasn't supposed to do, but that's let go. We think, oh, that's the situation. We move on, but we don't do that. We don't offer the same grace and mercy right. toward others that we would offer David. David was given a pass for something that was unlawful. Mm -hmm. the, the disciples are being targeted for something that is lawful. That, that is yeah. lawful. And he gives, you mentioned he gives examples. That was example number one. Example number two here. He said, Jesus answering their accusation. Or have you not read in the law 
that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. Now, what does he mean by that? Mm. They work. They work. They work. They work very on hard. the Sabbath, right? That, that's the day that they do the most of their priestly stuff. I mean, and, and it's not just a, a, a light work. I mean, they are They're slaughtering animals and everything else, right? I mean, long, long day. Yeah. There's a lot of work they did, and no one would say the priests are violating the Sabbath. Now, they would go, yeah, 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 but that, they're, they're priests. Exactly. Did you know what I mean? You're not being consistent. And this is cool because uh, it, it's, it's fairly subtle, um, but Jesus has elevated himself to uh, the temple. Mm-hmm. Because he, he's using that, that just like the priests were able to work on the Sabbath to serve God in the temple, mm-hmm. the disciples are able to do this on the Sabbath yeah. because they're serving They're me. serving something else yeah. as yeah. priests in the temple of yeah. God on the right. Sabbath. Kind of cool little point, yeah. absolutely. Um, so then in verse 6 he says, But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. So now he says, look, and by the way, and I love it, kind of, by the way, you're going to elevate things that happen in the temple. Something greater than the temple is here. Does your version say someone or something? Something. King James says someone. Someone. From what I understand, it is a, a neuter word in Greek. It's not necessarily someone. I don't think it's talking about Jesus, but maybe this whole kingdom, this whole mission, this whole purpose mm-hmm. is bigger. The, the preaching the of the gospel, the preaching of my message. Yeah takes precedent over anything going on in the temple, takes precedent over the Sabbath. It is bigger, it is better, it is grander, it is for all, and they're missing that point. But here's their, their root cause, they're all their problems, right? Verse 7, but if you had known what this means, and he goes back to that Hosea 6, 6 verse, which he quoted in Matthew 9, right? Verse 13, he says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would, If you understood that, basically, you would not have condemned the innocent. Wait a second, so who's the innocent? The disciples. The disciples. And I also think maybe we can make the jump and say that it's anybody they were binding these burdens upon, like verse 28 of chapter 11. Innocent people that aren't doing anything wrong, that are trying to follow God, you're making them feel like they're lost and unworthy and, and bad, evil people. He says, you are condemning the innocent. And if you would have just had compassion, you wouldn't have fallen guilty of that. Well, and that, that is... That is a scary statement, a scary yeah. thought yeah. to condemn someone that is innocent. I mean, and that's why if, if you even look at um, our, our judicial system today, uh, if someone uh, causes or does a crime that, that is worthy of the of capital punishment, uh, they're still on death row for 20, 30 mm-hmm. years just to verify that the appeal process. Uh, and you don't have to look very far to find that people who have been sentenced to death, that there's exonerating evidence found at a later point in time. And, and we have all the appeal process uh, today to make sure that the innocent is not Because convicted. we know how awful it is yeah. to be wrongfully convicted of something. And, and they're condemning more than just a physical state, too. Yeah, the yeah. innocent here, and they're saying they're, they're doomed. And, and also, let's think about how they could have approached this. So they see the disciples going through the grain field on the Sabbath, and they're plucking the heads of grain because they're hungry. The compassionate response would have been, here's people that's hungry, Let's feed them so they don't violate what we think is wrong, right? Well, not even that. They didn't. It's not like they just went up and asked, "Hey, are you guys hungry?" No, they didn't do it. They didn't no. do that. They assumed automatically that the disciples they, were breaking a law. Yeah, that was not even broken. Law, but yeah, it wasn't even broken. But if they would have handled, so, if we in most situations, if we approach most situations where we're passing judgment or something with compassion and mercy, we'll probably get it right. 
Sure. If that frames, if that's the lens we're looking through at every situation, we'll handle the situation in a godly way. But if we point the finger as, I'm better than you, and I want to look for something you're doing wrong, yeah, yeah, that's when you get partisan divides and all sorts of things. One, uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit, but one word that shows up five times going back to 1126, 1127, is this gnosko word, or this know, or this yeah. experiential knowledge. Going all the way back that no one knows the Son except the Father, no one knows the Father except the Son. And we see it in verse 3, that have you not read, uh, and that root is that gnosko, do you not know the law, have you not experienced the law? You see it again here in verse 5, or have you not read in the law? Um, and then finally up here in 7, um, and it shows that, the, the, the Pharisees didn't have that understanding of the law. Yeah, because they would have pointed them yeah, toward the, what? Compassion. The, 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 Their yeah. experiences only allowed them to respond one way. Yeah. As where Jesus understood from his experience to respond a totally different way. If, if they had been... Now, think about this. Let's put... If we put the Pharisees in the shoes of the disciples, what's their reaction What's their response? Well, we're looking for a loophole. We're looking for yeah. a way to get around this thing that we... Oh, well, it's not really unlawful to pick grain heads off of. Well, now we're just... I mean, and that's so, such dangerous things when it comes to legalism. Because it's nitpicking. It's saying, you know, we've got to do all these exact things like this. Well, it's how you read God's law. It's correct. Yeah. Much here. If you read it... For the purpose sure. of condemnation, you're going to find reason to condemn. Yeah. But if you read God's, even hit the old law, that we always make a, the old law out to be this horrible thing, but it's not. It shows the mercy and forgiveness of God. But if we read the law the correct way and truly even know the law, it'll point us toward compassion, loving your neighbor, you know, that kind of idea. Yeah, I mean, we uh, on that, that brief tangent, we often think of the, the, the God of the Old Testament uh, as just being up there with this lightning bolt just ready to throw it at people. But look at uh, Abraham uh, and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Yeah. Uh, it shows that there is a, a God that is compassionate to to be able to negotiate with God down uh, on the number of righteous people. Look at how many times he, he gave Israel a second oh, chance, very, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that idea. And, and had the Pharisees known that, had they experienced that from what they read, uh, they, they'd go back to that compassion. So they really had a false look view of God. God. Look how God deals with people. Yeah. And yeah. Look how people deal with people. Yeah. Yeah. They, Two totally different things. It's cool too because it ties back to the, the language of the Sermon on the Mount too, uh, where, where you have said, but I say. And here Jesus is saying to the Pharisees that you have it read, you have read, but I tell yeah. you. Really and if you approach religion or, or the Bible with a false theology, a false assumption to begin with, it's going to always lead to wrong yeah. conclusions. Yeah. Right. Right. But here's the Jesus' conclusion. He wants you to understand. Verse 8, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's almost like a mic drop phrase, too. It's like, and one more thing. The Son <laughs> of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I'm bigger, better, faster. I'm in charge of it all anyway. Yeah. And I'm the Lord of it. Well, and then he's done. And that, that's an interesting thought because Jesus had... He, he wrote the law. He is qualified to, 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 to make these exemptions yeah. or to mm. bypass the law if he so chooses. But, but he didn't, uh, which again goes back to that humility that he had, that he is gentle, he is lowly. Because uh, even when he had the authority to do something, he, he didn't. He didn't bind on people what he would not hold himself to even yeah. that same standard. Mm. So he makes this powerful statement about himself being Lord of the Sabbath. And I wish... There is more in this section about how they responded, what they were saying, what they were murmuring about themselves, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But then departing from there, he went into their synagogue. So right into the church, right? At one of the religious gatherings. He went into their synagogue, and now he's illustrating how he is Lord of the Sabbath. 
There was a man whose hand was withered, and they questioned Jesus. And I'm assuming it's the same Pharisees here. They questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? I, this always boggles my mind, the hard-heartedness here. Yeah. They are admitting that he can heal the man. Yeah. Is it lawful for you to do this on the Sabbath? Hey. I mean, yes. It just shows how far off base they are. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think your, your comments on our political discourse, we, we fall into the exact same trap today where we, we, we have such, I mean, I, I want to say hatred, but, but really we have no reason to have hatred for someone. But, but we want to see them fail yeah. so bad that no matter what they do or even acknowledgement that they have done good, we twist it around yeah. to something bad. Yeah. All the time. And that's what they wanted to do here. Something good, but the person doing the good wasn't on their team, wasn't part of their, you know, um, tribe, wasn't part of yeah, their wasn't. political party. Yeah. yeah. So now we're going to put them in a corner and give us ammunition to, to, to use it against them. So is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they did it. I mean, Matthew I mean, says. Right after so he says that, I desire mercy, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. Yeah. So they and take a man with a withered <laughs> hand, too. This yeah. poor disabled man. Here, Jesus, should you heal him or not? The poor man is just I mean, hurting. And then we have to ask ourselves. Are, we have to ask ourselves: Are we the same way? Could we be the same way if we use people you know, as a political well, pawn to our what, own agenda? Look yeah. at what this says here. So you're not following exactly what that says. But is it lawful? You know what I'm saying? So the law, in reference to, you know, kind of how we deal with some passages of scripture, with this idea that were the exact words, even if it's out of its context, is binding us to a law that may not have ever been even supposed to be a even law. supposed to be a command. Well, and, and similar to the the plucking the uh, heads of grain here, um, they're elevating their law because yeah. I think it's the, the Mishnah that mm. that forbade practicing medicine on the Sabbath. There's nothing in the law about that, no, but yeah. it was in in their traditions. Where they uh, they forbade that practice of medicine, so then they're looping this miracle into right. performing surgery. Yeah, and right. So <laughs> they're using they're taking this miracle, making it into performing surgery, which in their made up interpretation of the law was a violation. Yeah. But also, like what you mentioned, they're not showing compassion because there's a human being here with a withered hand. No, that that's secondary. Yeah, no, secondary. and it, it reminds <laughs> me of the same thing with the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. You know, that kind of idea, it's too. It's like you can kind of see in their mind's eye how they went around and found someone, grabbed him, drug him forward to Jesus just to make And when move. people do that today, they find a, a victim of someone, someone who's been wronged, and instead of helping that person, they use them to shame somebody in some right. way versus actually helping a person. We, we, we allow law to dismiss compassion. Yeah. You know, we allow what we think needs to be done uh, dismiss what is actually right for us to do. When so when people become a means to the end of your political agenda, right? You're dismissing, you know, what we're supposed to have. To have well, I can't give status. that guy any money, even though he's hungry, because he might go spend it on drugs or alcohol. I can't do that particular thing because that might happen, or this might happen, or circumstance takes precedence over what's actually the right thing to do in certain situations. And the whole time Jesus is yelling, go and know what this means. Right. I and desire the, the message is, the, part of the, the application is, you know, is, is do we have, do we lack compassion? Do we lack empathy for people who are, you know, in circumstances that they can't help? Yeah. Do we have a way to fix that problem? Because I think that's a lot of, I mean, we can use a few examples. 
um, of the idea of just people in general, people in our society lacking empathy. Well, that could never happen to me, so why is it happening to you? And I would respond differently instead of saying, well, wait a minute, if that was me, yeah. maybe I would have been more yeah. quiet about it. You know what I'm saying? And and I think that that's the exact thing that's going on here is is this Jesus is exposing their lack of empathy and saying you know look your law keeping is keeping you from doing what is what God requires of you which it all goes back and and just reiterates what Jesus told his disciples in in Matthew ten mm-hmm. that they are to go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel right. uh, these Pharisees were in the house of Israel and yeah. they have it so messed up. That they're lost, and that's that's who the disciples were told to go to. That's who Jesus is talking to now. Yeah. Well, then look what happens. So they accuse him here, and he said to them, verse 11, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? He's showing their hypocrisy and inconsistency. They would all help their animal out of the pit, because that's just common sense, right? That's what you do. But verse 12, How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. If men are more valuable than animals, which is a teaching of Scripture, you should want to heal somebody on the Sabbath. They're more valuable than sheep. Have compassion. You love an animal more than you love a human being, he's saying. And that's what it all comes back to, doing good uh, on the Sabbath. Yeah, and this is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. So he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. So Jesus does heal this man on the Sabbath. Showing that it's not a violation of the Sabbath, first off. Yeah, and, and so yeah, and so he demonstrates this authority, and that authority bleeds into the fact that he is the lawful interpreter of the yeah. law. Yeah, he's the representation of the what the law should look like being right. perfectly fulfilled. And wow, it's not judgmental, it's not binding burdens, it's it's love, it's kindness. Oh, there is lo- obedience and all of that, yeah. but it also involves yeah. doing good on the Sabbath. Yeah. The Sabbath isn't an excuse to, to not do good, yep. it's an opportunity to do good. Yeah, it's an opportunity to do something maybe you normally wouldn't do. You know, we use this... It's a reminder to yeah, do something. Yeah, and like you said, excuses, I mean, how many excuses do we find not to do good to other people? How many excuses do we find not to, when we go in the grocery store talk to somebody or have a conversation? How many excuses do we make not to have a conversation with somebody we're in constant contact? Well, I don't really think, I don't really think I'm going to, I'm going to convert him. So I'm just not going to say anything. You know, I'm just not going to tell him about Jesus. I'm not not going to do something good for somebody because it won't really matter in the long run. We make an excuse and we refuse to do good. Right. Well, the Pharisees saw this. (laughs) Their reaction just boggles my mind. Yeah. Read verse 14 for us. Uh, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Yeah, not to celebrate the goodness he's doing, but we got to stop this man, destroy him. But just what, how hard does your heart have to be to, to see, to, okay, so I tried to get an argument over on you. You completely obliterated me in my argument. But I'm just going to double down and, and go out and, and try to do it. i got to find something, time, something right? wrong. And, yeah, we do this with people that don't align with the values we necessarily have. Instead of celebrating the good that is done, we look for reasons to destroy them. So yeah, we, we have every reason to humbly accept uh, a fact here, a fact that Jesus uh, is an authority, a fact that Jesus uh, is of God, and Jesus can show us what we can and cannot do on the Sabbath. Well, but they just double down and, and get in their phone. They think the Messiah is supposed to be in line with what they teach. 
with what they do with the laws and commands that they keep. And really, the Messiah is not in line with their type of teaching. He's in line with the law that God established and the way that God established it. And, and their misinterpretation of, you know, what's supposed to be done. I mean, look, verse, oh, I don't want to get, get ahead of us here, but um, it says that word to fulfill again. You know, the word we keep popping up every time Jesus, see popping up every time Jesus does something in contrast to what the scriptures say. Um, and at this point, too, you know, you know, if you're a, a Jewish reader, you're saying, well, if I don't believe that Jesus really was the Messiah, now I'm starting to have, now I'm starting to see that he actually might be who he's. And, and he's acting with authority and power. Yeah. yeah well, and, yeah. and I, I think if we, we can build on that thought by moving forward uh, into verse 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Jesus yeah. is aware of this, of the fact that they want to kill him. Jesus knows all, and he withdrew from there. So he doesn't choose to allow the destruction of him to happen. And he leaves from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all. There's our big healing sections, yeah. right? Well, and, and that's what, to, to, to Nick's point, people are still seeing Jesus as a power. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus moved away from the Pharisees at this point, and it wasn't just a couple people followed yeah. him. Many followed him. So the Pharisees are seeing their authority and power diminished yeah. because Jesus is gaining followers. Yeah. So we got to destroy him. Yeah. He's popular, I'm not. Let's get rid of him. I mean, if you are a bystander of all this, um, and you can probably think of examples today, when, when someone does um, come up with an argument and double down on it, and they're completely, they're wrong in every matter, mm. and even if you had respect for them, it, it goes away. Yeah. And so the Pharisees may be converting people to Jesus with their hard hearts. Yeah, their hard hearts. You're like, I'm not going to, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I know that that happens in a lot of things even today. You see somebody, like you said, double down and they won't back down. They don't show a willingness to learn. And you go, you know what? I don't want to align myself yeah. with that. Yeah. So they, Jesus, though, tells these people that he's healing in verse 16 not to tell people who he was. Which is, there's that strange kind of... Yeah, you know, we've seen that before. Yeah, what do you call it? The Messianic secret. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems that he, Matthew explains a little bit why here. So Jesus in verse 16 tells people to not tell people who he is. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. I'm assuming that verses 18 through 21 is an answer to why Jesus warned people not to tell others. So let's read this. This is a quotation from Isaiah, I believe, 42. It says, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles, or the nations. Okay? That's Jesus, I'm assuming, right? Well, I just, can I interrupt just briefly? Yeah. Um, and, and it's so cool. I mean, we, we've seen how Matthew uses prophecy, Jesus the fulfillment of prophecy. Mm -hmm. But this even calls the reader back to chapter 3. Mm -hmm. And, and the, yep. when, when Jesus was baptized and the yeah. voice from heaven came it's down, my this is my son, son yeah. whom I well please, and the Spirit came upon him. And so it's calling the reader back to this. Jesus is the beloved of God in all these passages, yeah. right? Sorry for interrupting. No, it's very true. And he, I'll put my Spirit upon him, which Jesus mm -hmm. had the Spirit, right? Yeah. And he's going to proclaim justice to the nations or to the Gentiles, and that's what he's doing here. In his previous passage, he's proclaiming justice, fairness, right? Yeah. He's proclaiming that he will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He's not purposely making a ruckus, but the word is still getting spread. He's not telling everybody, go tell everybody everywhere you see, but he's not doing that. 
And a battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. There's a time frame here. Until he leads justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Now, I don't fully understand every illustration being made in this prophecy. That's the struggle of prophecy. But it seems to be that there's a time frame, and, it's go and Jesus isn't going to completely have his message spread until he leads justice to victory, and the nations will hope. I'm assuming that's the cross, you know what I mean? He's it's not time yet. He's got to lead to that final moment, but I love that. Until he leads justice to victory. He's got a victorious path that he's on, and part of that means don't spread the word at certain times and, and how it yeah, work well, that timetable. And he's just suddenly... Slowly building his following. I mean, we, we see the following, but he's not one that's out to just, just go out and start arguing with people for the sake of showing them that I know the law. He's not out to just stand on the street corner and bang his trumpets and say, come look at me. Uh, he's not the one that, that uh, uh, is going to turn their back on the ones that are damaged and hurting. Uh, that he's going to lift them up instead lift of just stuffing them out. And I love that last verse, verse 21. And in his name, the name of Jesus... The Gentiles, and the word Gentiles is the same word for nations. So it's basically, in his name, the world will have hope. Yeah. We have hope today because of Jesus and what he did in demonstrating mercy and compassion and, and being Lord of the Sabbath and healing people and teaching with authority. Because of that, we have hope. Yeah. Uh, amen. I mean, uh, yeah. what else can you say to that? I mean, Any final thoughts on this section then right here? Because I think we'll stop here tonight with our discussion. Um, I, I love this first section of chapter 12, though, how the power of Jesus over the Sabbath, but ultimately, it's not to just shut them down, but to show how they should view the Sabbath yeah. with compassion, mercy, and give people hope. The Pharisees gave people doubt. Jesus gives people hope. And if in our practicing of Christianity, all we're doing is causing people to fall away, to doubt, to have heavy burdens, we're not showing the mercy of Jesus. We should be living and that's why hope. That's what was so irresistible about Jesus was that he wasn't somebody who was saying, You have to, in order to follow me, you have to do this. And he's saying, Come, come follow me. And you'll learn of my ways. You'll see what I'm doing. You'll see who I am. And that's why people were so drawn to him. That's why that's why people today are drawn to him. Because it's not this idea of, well, um, I have a contract and a list of things that you need to complete before you become a Christian or before you start coming to church or before you become a follower of Jesus. Jesus invites people to follow him. And by following him, they learn of his ways. They learn how he is. And look at and, the extreme levels of commitment and obedience right. it produced. And because of that method and that the fact that he practiced what he preached, he was uh, the perfect example yeah. of leadership here. They followed along till death. Yeah, and it wasn't yeah. forceful. It wasn't, yeah. you know, anything like that. It was just, look, come and follow me. I, I'm, I'm inviting you to come and see who I am. I'm coming, inviting you to be in a relationship with God ultimately, you know, and to then go out and do what I've done for the world to the world. And you just humbly coming <laughs> and doing it, slipping out the back door. Yeah. And, and in the process, he's fulfilling a. Uh, now, 2,600 year old yeah, That asks the question, why wouldn't, you know, after re reading so as much as we have and studying as much as we have, why wouldn't someone want to follow Jesus? 
We're not even halfway through. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a question we, we ask our audience. Why would, why wouldn't why you want to follow Jesus? Jesus? Look at the authority. Look at the power. Look at his love. Look at his compassion. Look at the hope that he provides. I want to be on his team because, well, that's the team that leads justice to victory. Yeah. That's the team I want to right. be on. And, and just to think about, you know, even, even the types of people we want to be around are the types of people who aren't overbearing, who aren't burdensome, who just want to do what's right. They're passionate. They love God. And those are the people that we naturally want to be around. We don't want to be around people who are burdensome and we want to be know, around people that are doing good. Yes, and that's what Jesus and, did. And that's that's why like I said, you know, Jesus is, you know, w- when you learn his character, when you learn who he is, when you understand you know his nature, you cannot I mean, I guess you could, but it's just so compelling. You'd be, you'd be so, hard-hearted like the yeah, Pharisees if you yeah, didn't follow him. Why we have hope. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's I mean, yeah, and that's you know, we preach this message about you know, doing what we do from the heart. Jesus saying, come and follow me is asking somebody to look into their heart and to see, to really see who Jesus is. Yes. So let's kind of conclude then tonight and I'll encourage those that are tuning in, study through this passage and be prepared with maybe some questions you want to discuss through here. Maybe what are some inconsistencies that we have, like maybe the Pharisees? What are some times that we forget to do good and how can we have a better attitude toward Jesus so that we too can give the nation's hope. So I thank you for tuning in tonight. Have a good evening.